0: Hey, everyone. It's Carl. Welcome to the Pickup Music Pod. Uh, Sam has a, a slight pickleball injury, so he's taking the day off. But today we have a very special guest in the studio, Mr. Nick Campbell. You may have heard Nick's work with Pomplamoose, Scary Pockets, Charlie Puth, and of course his own projects, which include Shrek is Love, and then under his own name as the one and only Nick Campbell Destroys. Nick, you are one of Los Angeles's most highly regarded bass players, in my humble opinion, and many other people's opinions as well. Welcome to the studio.
1: Thanks for having me, man. This is such a beautiful place. Thanks Who, for letting me bring my dog. Yeah, who's your friend here? This is Hansi. He's <laughs> perfect, and he loves modern jazz. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> amazing.
0: So we've been working on our our first bass course. This is bass for guitarists, and you've been doing some performance pieces for us. Um. So give us uh, give us a, a an overview here of why should why should guitarists learn bass like why 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 should we do this?
1: Yeah, I mean I think there's a bunch of reasons. I mean one like there's well there's a massive overlap between the two instruments obviously. They come from the same family. So it's pretty easy to do first yeah. of all. Okay. Um, and then two, I mean like I'm a former guitar player who turned into a bass player. Oh, so it turns out okay. like, you might decide that you like bass better. Yeah. Which is what happened to me. Yep. I mean the role of the, on, of the instrument, even though it, it's a cool thing to experience because, like, the role of the instrument is so different, even though they're very similar instruments. And even if you don't want to become a bass player, just, like, knowing a little bit about what all the instruments in the ensemble do gives you a lot more insight into, like, how to play with them or arrange for them. I've noticed, like, even though, like, you know, a, for instance, like a Rhodes and a drum kit at my house, I can't play them very well, but having them around and just messing around just gives me a lot of intuition about, like, what feels okay on the instrument and stuff like that which is great for arranging and just kind of like knowing what everybody in the band's doing yeah absolutely i have a Rhodes at home as as well and yeah it's It's the best yeah mine needs a little work i need to i need to get set up yeah (laughs) there are a few times
0: that are so we what are some you know we talked about sort of five tips earlier for uh for guitarists that want to learn pace or you know what are some telltale signs that a bass player is actually a guitar player for you
1: yeah so one of the really important ones is um a lot of the time you know when we talk about like playing with good time or like lining something up to a grid with your playing like you're thinking about the attack side of the note like where the note begins and like lining that up to something and on the bass because there's so much so many more low frequencies the release side of the note and where the note ends and where you choose to end the note has just as much to do with the pocket as the front side of the note. And that's true for guitar also, but there's just so much more responsibility on bass to really manage the end of your notes. And so one of a telltale sign for me, if I'm listening to somebody play bass, so I can tell as a guitar player or not a very experienced bass player, is that the ends of their notes are random. They're just not thought about. And like, you know, there's a big difference between like one, two, three, four, and one, two, three, four, right? Whoa. Like, to even just ending <laughs> yeah. like an eighth note early, like yeah, changes something. Totally. And there are many reasons why you might do that. Maybe there's like the drummer you're playing with has like a, a snare with like a lot of attack that like sounds better when you pull off. So that lets you leave the, space. the snare come through yeah. in the mix. So there's like little things like, there's all kinds of reasons why you might and your notes in certain places. But you have to kind of like be aware of that and be making decisions about that. And if you're not thinking about it at all, that's like a telltale sign. You're not listening to a bass player where that's like their first instrument. Maybe. Right. That That's such a good point. And you talked about
0: in the lessons earlier today, um, the low frequency taking up a lot more space. And so... Like as guitar players, we don't have those low frequencies. Yeah. So we don't have that kind of responsibility, but yeah, it does take up a lot more sonically, even live or on when you're recording. Yeah. Um, and so the, those note lengths really make a big difference. Yeah. You just have
1: yeah. to make decisions about them, like right. about the whole envelope of the note, where it's like, you know, I mean, it's true for you still need to do that for guitar too. Like, Like really good guitar players do that, but you can kind of get away with being a little bit more haphazard about that. As a guitar player, in a way that you can't as a bass player. So the
0: other big thing for guitarists, I feel, because I'm, I have a bass and I've, I record at home my own bass parts most of the time if it's just simple stuff or for pickup. Um, but I, admittedly, I'm primarily a thumb player, right? You know, I also have kind of have, I've always used nails, so that's part of it. Um, it
1: sounds terrible on bass. Yeah, that's you know? not a fun... You have to trim your nails yeah. on bass. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess, man, we should have put this in the list for... because like, <laughs> yeah, that's tr- actually one for a classical guitar. The lo- the nail right. sound, actually. Yeah. That's actually a big giveaway. I yeah. didn't think about that.
0: Yeah. So for me, um, you know, when working with you or John Jonathan Coleman or Corbin Jones, any of you guys that have come in, and it's been really educational for me to talk about what's going on with the fretting hand and how to play properly with the fingers. So what are your top tips uh, for just that specifically? And what's your approach to, um, you know, either resting on the E string or the A
1: string or floating or all that, like what's your philosophy? I think about right-hand technique on the bass in terms of like what sound I want to be getting out of the instrument because everything kind of does different things. And if you look at lots of different bass players like who are all amazing, their right-hand techniques are all really different and like what they tend to rely on more than other things. It like is really all over the place. You know, if I'm playing something kind of more like. That's kind of like in one position where I may be doing occasional string jumps and it's more comfortable. Like I'll rest my thumb on the pickup, like kind of like Jocko does. And then sometimes like, you know, usually if I have to do something like. You'll kind of notice like I started here and then I rest on the E string. So I'll move that around a little bit. There are other things where, like, you know, we talked about this in in the lessons where kind of like the Pinot Claw of Doom thing where you put rest your uh, palm on the bridge and, like, very lightly mute and then use your index, middle, and uh, thumb to play. And the kind of stuff that's comfortable to play in that position is completely different than, like, an anchored two-finger thing. And you also shape the envelope of the note completely differently. So, like, for me, it's all about kind of, like, getting a bunch of different... Techniques in your right hand together, and then pulling which tool makes the sound you want to hear, and that's kind of how I think about it. And then obviously there's the whole like slapping and popping thing, which I don't really do.
0: Right. It seems so personal, and you know, as I, as I was doing a lot of research for this course, yeah, um, scouring the internet, comparing fretting hand, or I'm sorry, a uh, plucking hand technique. It's very much like guitar. I mean, there's so <laughs> many different ways
1: to do it. Yeah. Who, yeah, there's uh, no yeah. one right right. I mean there's right tons right, of right. there's tons of like variants among guitar players sure. too. You yeah, know? of course. And then yeah, another thing I think that's that's a you know Again, similar on guitar, but like where you're plucking and what sound you're getting out of the instrument. Like if you play it by the neck, you can get a lot of like mellow sub harmonics out of the tone. Whereas like if you're by the bridge this this is a P bass so it doesn't jocko but you'll get more mid range and like kind of like farty attack you know like any instrument like the more you have your hands on it and the more you like hear the sound that you're making like in your head you like just start to hear the full sound in your head and then it you it comes out of the instrument instead of like the other way around where like you hear the instrument and you react to it it starts like the reverse starts happening so you just start making all those kinds of choices like really fast in the moment let's talk about.
0: Um... A famous player, you know uh James Jamerson, yeah, um you seemed when you were talking about him earlier, you seemed very knowledgeable about his style and and him and his background and everything, and the more I learn about him, the more wow, what a fascinating player, yeah, I mean. You know, he came from upright bass, which I didn't really realize. Uh-huh. I knew that he played with one finger, but then when you demonstrated yeah. the two versions... Um, yeah, you can really hear you it. You can really hear the difference yeah. in, in because he has that extra space between the attack because he has to wait that
1: little bit longer to, to get, get that first finger. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's really wild. I mean, like if you listen to, you know, like Jamerson lines, if you play them with two fingers, like... So you're playing with two note, two fingers right Yeah, now, so okay? like... It's very smooth, right? But if you do it with one, whoa, like <laughs> one, it's a much harder. But yeah, <laughs> it's also like there's just like a little tiny separation, like you need the finger to come back for that extra attack. And so there's these little tiny spaces between the notes that you can kind of that's like very traditional, like, like it's very typical of his style. And then, like, you know, I mean, if, uh, if, people listening to this haven't seen the documentary "Standing in the Shadows of Motown" or gotten the book, which has a bunch of Jamerson transcriptions in it and is much more focused on him specifically, which is an amazing book. If like, uh, if there's anybody listening to this that like wants some fucking awesome hard music to read, <laughs> yeah. like all that all the Jamerson stuff is is great. Like yeah. you'll really be like a master of like reading syncopated basslines if you can get through that book. And if, I go over with students with it a lot. It's awesome. But yeah, I'd recommend checking all that stuff out. But he really is sort of like one of the pivotal figures of electric bass where, you know, he took all of the kind of like Ray Brown chromatic jazz vocabulary stuff, put it on the electric bass, and then did it on hit songs where all of the rhythms were like more straight than like her traditional swing, kind of traditional string swing music. So all the syncopations instead of being like on the triplet grid are all 16th notes. And so like all of that vocabulary, like, you know, Paul McCartney talked about how Jamerson was his favorite bass player. And you can kind of hear that in Beatles songs, like doing him doing that, his version wow, of the Wow, really?
0: Know? I didn't know that.
1: And there are, yeah, and there are a lot of other. his favorite bass player. That's crazy. Yeah. It, and um, there, you know, if you listen to RB music, that kind of chromatic approach with those syncopations, it's just like in the DNA of the whole thing. He's just like one of those pivotal figures at the beginning of the instrument, you know, because he was really doing all that stuff when the instrument was like eight years old, yeah. you know? That style is kind of what set the footprint for I mean if you listen to Jaco Pistorius like a lot of his vocabulary is Jamerson stuff updated and a lot of bass players are like that like Rocco Prestia they got all of that stuff's derivative of Jamerson to some degree because it's just like the DNA of like what popular music sounds like I mean those Motown songs were so popular and his voice was such a big part of it that like every bass player that was like every kid who was learning how to play bass he was hearing that stuff was like wow this is bass you know And so he's just like one of those figures. And if you're going to have a deep relationship with the vocabulary of the instrument, he's like, well, just, he's just one of those guys you have to know. We also talked about
0: the box, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we talk a lot about in The Pathway. Um, And then also the fill zone. (laughs) Let's put some reverb on that. The fill zone.
1: Yeah. Can we maybe fly in a sample of that drum fill from the Phil Collins song? You know, I feel like that'd be really good. The fill zone you had some of your own ideas about the
0: box and where the boxes are, and maybe there's actually more than one box. Yeah. So for anybody that's
1: like taken the course or will take the course, can you expand on that for us? Sure. Both guitar and bass kind of operate like in positions, right? Where you're, Kind of like a one-finger-per-fret vibe where it's like... Yeah. There's... You can kind of see the box like visually on the fretboard. And just the basic box, if you're in C, let's say, is is
0: what? Yeah.
1: That's the one you guys go over, yeah, right? Yeah, one, two, four, five, flat seven octaves.
0: Oh. Yes.
1: Cool. Right, right. Yeah, so whatever box you're using, right, that's like a... It's like the guitar family instruments are all kind of shape-based. And then the more experience you get with the instrument, the kind of more boxes you can see and mix and match. And like something I do with a lot of students is I'll have them use like, if they're just playing like a C7 vamp for instance, it's like a dominant chord where you can either play like the major blues scale or the minor blues scale, they both work over dominant chords, right? And I'll have them practice like using like the minor blues box or... Fill zone. The fill zone. Right. And the fill zone is a major pentatonic blues box, right? So shifting back and forth between those sounds. And what I do with students is I make them sing everything they play because I really want them to like their ears to understand the sounds that they're using. Yeah. And yep. uh, I won't do it right now because it sounds embarrassing because I'm a really bad singer, but <laughs> it's not really about that. And the thing that's cool about like, I mean, the bass is like a totally symmetrical instrument, like unlike guitar, which has like that B yeah. string, which really is yeah. a pesky B string. Killer, you know? Uh-huh. Like for linear stuff at least it's a vibe killer it's a vibe killer not for <laughs> chords but totally. every shape on the bass is the same everywhere pretty much as long as you keep the register of the instrument and in, uh, accounted for right that's really cool yeah i mean and it seems like it's even easier
0: to like play your ideas in multiple spots on the neck
1: yeah that it way. is yeah. yeah and like yeah again man like I, you know i play a little guitar obviously right because sure. i start on guitar yeah and i'm okay but, who, who are your guitar influences,
0: by the way? Or like who made you want to start playing guitar?
1: Well, I when I was a kid, I was like really into like pop punk and stuff like that. Because that's what oh, was sure. popular. Yeah. So I got like a Blink-182 record, and like a Green Dude. Day record in sixth grade. And that's what I got into. Oh, yeah, I was right there with you. Yeah, so, and then I wanted to play in my school's jazz band. But they were, there were too many guitar players. So I, I had just gotten a bass and I was like, oh, maybe I'll do this instead. And I liked it way more. But yeah, my first bass was a Squire P bass. And then my second one which was like my first real one that wasn't like the Squire jam pack that they used to yeah. sell for a hundred bucks. <laughs> that's like not great. It's actually in that case over there. That Reverend that I have was the, was like my oh, first right. real yeah. bass. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. And it literally sat in my closet for 10 years and I was like, I wonder if this is cool. And I got it set up and I was playing it. And I was like, dude, this bass is really cool. It turns out like I sucked because I don't remember it being like good, but it turns out like I was just bad. Yeah.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. That's really cool. Well, we took a little sidestep with the guitar influences, but um, yeah. as as guitar players that I'm sure are listening, we're, we're curious yeah. where you Yeah, I can give you, you, you some from.
1: like now, like as an adult, of people I really like. Well, but you're, you're going to be
0: playing with Lee Ritenour soon, right? Yeah. Lee's right. amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, every, I love Blake Mills. Uh, Johnny, I'm a huge Radiohead fan, so like Johnny Greenwood, I sure. just like that stuff really speaks to me. And the Lee Ritenour
0: thing could lead us into the next thing that I was going to ask you about. Um, because... You play with um, so many different groups and you're actually like, not just like playing here and there with them, like you're touring with them. And you know, to me, um, that's that's a tall order because you're kind of constantly shifting gears. Like when I've done, my touring experiences have always been like with one group at a time and just managing like the dynamics of being around that group of people and let alone the music, you know, it's like, it's a lot, you know? And um, so you're jumping around to all these different environments. Do you have any, I guess, tips for maybe musically? How do, you, how do you manage all that? How do you practice for all that? And then also the hang part of it. I mean, is there, is there it's such a hard thing to kind of teach, I guess, but you know, do you have any tips for that as well?
1: What I kind of do, especially if you have to learn something really fast, is I'll, I'll go through three steps. And the first step is I just listen to the song once without really playing along. Maybe I'll find the key and I'll take note of like the form in every major section. Cool. But I'm really just like engaging my active listening skills to just like figure out what's in the song. Are there going to be any surprises as I'm going through it? Because sometimes like if you don't do that, you'll start playing along to the song and be like, oh, I got this. And you'll actually like miss stuff because you're not paying attention. So you want to like really just listen to it once and take down basic notes, the key, the form, kind of just like Get a good bird bird's eye view of like what's happening, and then the second playthrough I do, I'll start working through the song, and I'll like rewind stuff or pause if I need to if there's a hard part and trying to just work through it. And then on the third playthrough, I'll just play the whole thing all the way through after having worked on it. And then after that, like if you've engaged your active listening skills and if you have enough experience doing it, you know, like step two can take a long time if the especially if it's hard music then you have to transcribe like hard stuff or there's hard things to work out. But we kind of once you do that and you run through it and you play through it as if it's a performance and you're like, I feel good about this. Like my ears have memorized this. I know what's this. I know this song now. Like we all know have know that feeling of like, oh yeah, I know that song. Like when you have that feeling, you get through it without making it's good feelings. any huge mistakes. And you're like, yeah, I know this song. Then you'll know the song and you'll be good for the gig. And I just do that for every song. Wow. So you after those three, you feel like generally you're, pretty good or do you have to have another practice session after that to to... it depends how much music it is and how difficult it is sure and ideally like maybe you do more or you like you do the but you might not have time but (laughs) if you don't have time i can make it work with Yeah. yeah a lot of touring and playing with different bands is like honestly just like being prepared and showing up on time and knowing the music you'd be surprised how many people like don't do those things and they sound basic but people will love you if you show up You're like, oh yeah, I just, I know everything already. Totally. In terms of like the interpersonal stuff, I mean, I've done a lot of touring in my life. And honestly, most musicians are like pretty chill. And if you're touring with people who have been on the road before, people kind of know like, how to be on the road and when like, oh, this person's kind of like losing it a little bit, like I should give them some space or, you know. Yeah. There's all these like little, un, there are all these little things Unset that you pick up. Unsaid things that you pick yeah. up on. Yeah. Just I haven't, cues. I've been lucky. I haven't really been on the road with anyone who was like really difficult. Artists not included in that. They're just been talking about band members yeah, at sure. this point. Yeah, sure, sure. They're different. Touring with like an artist is like a different thing. They, yeah. they sometimes throw a temper tantrum. But right. you're not allowed to do that. It's the person that they hire.
0: The last thing I'll ask you about is um, tell us about your art and why I should respect it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so,
0: and for those that don't know what I'm talking about um, that might be listening, your hashtag, your, your personal hashtag is please respect my art. Yeah, we make merch now too. Awesome. Yeah. You, yeah, you have a hat, right? Don't yeah. you have a please respect my art? I do, yeah. So, and I've been a fan of that for a really long time. You know, we've been friends for a long time and, yeah. and I've uh, followed you for a long time. And so how did you come up with having your own hashtag and having that hashtag? um, And what's kind of your general approach and thoughts on like social
1: media and stuff? I mean, social media is a challenging one for me. I think everybody who makes music now has like a complicated relationship with the internet because you just, the pace of content you have to put out is so high that it sometimes feels like, am I a content creator or am I an artist? And like what you lean into, there's like music content and like making original music that like you feel like spiritually connected to or whatever like they're both great and And like they're both like kind of almost separate full-time jobs it's hard to and you kind of like if you're gonna if you want to be an like an artist like you still kind of have to make content which is like everyone i know who does music professionally it's like constantly figuring out like what that balance is for them and it can be really difficult and i definitely struggle with that especially like you know the bigger your followings get on platforms like your Instagram will just always be going off. And so you I just like have to schedule times where it's like I'm just not gonna look at Instagram because like I just can't engage with all of this. It's like too much. When it comes to the hashtag in particular, I mean like, you know, we went to jazz school together. So like, you know, like there's a lot of like very cerebral modern jazz that like I love, but at the same time, it's also kind of like antagonistic to the audience. And like there's a definite like Anything I do is fair game because it's my art, and you have to just deal with it because it's my art. And so it just kind of started as a joke. Yeah, you know? totally. Uh, it's not taking yourself too seriously, but the music that you do
0: is very serious. Yeah, and that's why I like it. You oh, know, thanks. Like, I've man. always been drawn to that. Like it's tongue in cheek.
1: Yeah, I make a humor. lot of troll. <laughs> I make a lot of troll music. So like, yeah. that's part of you know. But the playing is serious. Like yeah. I, would would never sacrifice like the sure. quality of the music for a joke. But I do like. But like Shrek is love music. is also just very fun you yeah know? yeah that, i mean that's a like troll love. band literally about the plot of the shrek music yeah the shrek movie right but right. the musicians are all great and the music is like very thoughtfully composed yeah even though it's a joke right so like i think like a lot of people take music like really seriously and it's like but there's serious everything about it is serious and not that there's like not a place for that but and i make serious music sometimes too that like isn't just to troll but like I don't know, like I love Zappa. Like there's a lot of bands I like, you know, uh, like music is fun and like can be funny and like funny sounding music can be really good. So like, I just care a lot about that.
0: All right, Nick. So thanks a lot for your time today, man. It's been really a pleasure working with you. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you have coming up on your slate. I know you have a lot of touring and- and Sure.
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been, this has been super fun. Where can people find you? So I'm on the internet as Nick Campbell destroys. I have two albums out, one of which is- my album called art which has a bunch of special guests on it that sing a bunch of weird troll songs that i wrote and then me christian newman and jacob Mann just put out a trio album called buy for the highest Bitter. so i have two those those two records out
0: well thanks a lot again nick um and uh for everyone that's listening thank you so much for listening we have the bass for guitarists learning pathway at pickup music check it out all right see you guys thanks